Welcome to Any Questions, a podcast about conception, pregnancy, and realistic motherhood. Follow along on my journey as I ask the questions we all have when it comes to getting pregnant, staying pregnant, and becoming parents. I'm not an expert and I have no experience. I'm going through it all just like you. So thanks for being here and let's get into it. Hello, welcome back to Any Questions podcast all about conception, fertility, one day pregnancy and motherhood. But for now, we are in the TTC trying to conceive part of life. And while we are here, while I'm in this fun waiting game, I'm just kind of looking ahead. So you'll probably notice some of my recent topics and probably some still to come are just sort of going to be hypotheticals, things I'm planning, things I'm thinking about, which I think is sort of a fun space to be in when you are just waiting. There's not a lot you can do. You are trying to get pregnant. You're not quite at a stage where you are going for, you know, treatments and testing and things like that yet, but you're just sort of playing the waiting game. Um, I think it's kind of fun to look ahead and in a way that, you know, doesn't totally uh, demoralize you and, you know, get your hopes up too much, but just sort of planning for the future. So that's kind of what today's episode is all about. But before I jump in, I did want to give a shout out to a listener named Courtney, who sent me a lovely voice memo saying how much she likes the podcast and how she appreciates that, you know, this is very much a realistic take from a person like right in the thick of it, not an expert, not, you know, a mom of three, but just someone who is, you know, along for the ride. Um, And she shared a short documentary that she made. It's only like 16 minutes. um, And I watched it. It was uh, incredible. I totally, totally recommend it. I'm going to put the link in the show notes. But if you go to testivffilm.com. Again, the link will be in the show notes. Um, You can watch the documentary. It's linked there for free. You can read all about it and the process. It was just very cool, the format. And obviously, as the title uh, entails, it's about somebody's IVF journey. But just the way that they uh, film it and tell the story was really, really interesting. And even though I am not at that stage, and I don't know if I will be at that stage ever of doing IVF and things like that, um, I definitely really, really resonated with this story. Um, Felt felt very seen. Uh, You know, all the waiting, all of the things that you have to count and keep track of, um, how nothing feels easy how it can feel very thankless, how, you know, if you are in a hetero couple, how it really does feel like it's the woman who is needing to do everything, Um, how hard it is to see, you know, photos of other babies and pregnancy announcements and things like that, how there's that uncertainty of, am I pregnant? Am I not pregnant until you, you know, you get the call or you read the test. So highly recommend it if you are um, in doing IVF, thinking about IVF, or just even trying to conceive. It's a really, really cool um, documentary. So again, I will link that in the show notes. And thank you, Courtney, for listening and sharing that with me. Um, A little update on me before we jump in. So I am recording these episodes, not back to back, but um, not a week out as you are hearing them. So currently, I still have not had my period. It's day like 106 six or seven of my cycle. My little period app is so mad at me. It's like, you are 70 days late. (laughs) You are definitely pregnant. Do something about it. Um, And I'm not, and I keep logging these, you know, negative pregnancy tests and yet it'll, you know, it kind of does this thing where it's thinking. So it'll do like a little spin. Um, Even so I'll log a negative pregnancy test be like, yep, definitely negative. The little thing spins and then it goes recommendation, take a pregnancy test. I'm like, yeah, I just took one. <laughs> no need to uh, to force me to do another. But anyways, um, so yeah, I'm like day like 107 or something like that. But I'm hoping by the time you hear this, because I think you'll hear this probably 
two weeks from when I'm recording it. Um, I hope, hope I will have had my period by then, which is such a funny thing to hope for your period when you're trying to conceive. I mean, in an ideal world, I'm, you know, have peed on a stick and I'm pregnant by then, but um, at least a period would be wonderful just to end this incredibly long cycle and hopefully start things, uh, start things right again and try again next time. It does appear that my temperature is a little bit elevated. I've been doing the basal body temperature first thing in the morning and it has um it seems like my temperature is a little bit up however uh it's not like you know super high or anything like that but it has been like steadily a little bit higher than normal um so i definitely need to first buy a better thermometer because the one i have uh only reads in celsius and only does one decimal point and i know you're supposed to get one that does two so you can be really really precise um and I also need to probably do a little bit more research to see just how elevated your BBT basal body temperature is supposed to be. I think it's supposed to be like a whole degree um, higher, but I don't remember if that's in Celsius or in Fahrenheit. Sorry, I know it's so annoying when people on podcasts say things and like don't have the right answer and you're just sitting there listening being like, it's this. I do that all the time. So apologies. <laughs> don't have the answer on that. Um, but hopefully, because it has been a little bit elevated the last, uh, I don't even know, four or five days, um, hopefully that means I am in that uh, two weeks post ovulation and that a period or, you know, a chance of pregnancy <laughs> is on the way. So you will hear about that shortly if that is the case. Um, I'm still currently a few weeks out from that gynecologist appointment that I was telling you about. That is going to be a telehealth appointment happening towards the end of this month. Um, so I'm still a couple weeks out from that at the time of recording, and I will definitely tell you all about that. But I have a feeling it's going to be like, yeah, 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 that sounds awful. Okay, great. We'll get you scheduled for an in-office appointment. Uh, how's six weeks from now looking or three months from now looking? Just because <laughs> as much as I love free healthcare here in Canada, I hate how slow it is. This process of just getting seen by somebody has been very, very slow. Um, so pros and cons to a public free healthcare network. And uh, my husband who works in healthcare can definitely tell you that they are extremely, extremely understaffed right now. And I'm sure that is not helping in terms of speeding things up. But maybe you can tell from my voice, I'm kind of in a weirdly optimistic place right now. And I don't know if that's because of this, you know, elevated temperature, it really feels like something is actually happening or just the fun mood swings of trying to conceive. But there were definitely a few weeks there where I was very, very down. Um, and I am feeling a little bit better, even though nothing has actually changed. <laughs> and uh, a little baby waved at me at the park yesterday and it only bro almost broke me. <laughs> but besides that, I am feeling pretty, pretty good. So that's it. That's about me. That's where I'm at. Um, and yeah, let's jump. Let's jump into this topic. Can I bring a baby home to a one bedroom apartment? So depending on where you live, this question may seem absolutely ludicrous, or this might seem super realistic. Um, as I think I've shared before, I live in Vancouver, Canada, which is one of the uh, like hottest housing markets in the world, one of the most expensive places to live. Unfortunately, our wages definitely don't keep up with our cost of living. So it's very tough um, to, to live here. It's a tough housing market, whether you are buying or renting. Almost all of the people I know, um, you know, my age, 20s, 30s are renting. And if you did have to buy. It is certainly not in the city of Vancouver. I don't think I know 
anybody who has bought a home in their 20s or 30s here in the city of Vancouver, like recently. Um, I Maybe I just hang out with a bunch of poor people. <laughs> Kidding. Um, but yeah, if you did want to buy a place, you have to go way, way out into the suburbs. So if you want to live actually in the city, you're probably renting and you're probably renting a small space. Uh, so currently my husband and I are renting. We have a one bedroom apartment in downtown Vancouver and we absolutely love it. We moved in. Um, I think seven months ago now, something like that. Um, we have a really, uh, again, this is all by Vancouver standards. So depending on where you're listening to this from, this is going to sound hilarious, um, hilariously, hilariously large or hilariously small. But for us, it's a very large one bedroom at 850 square feet, um, super modern, super huge living space. The bedroom is really, really big. We have a king size bed in there, tons of closets. There's a little area where my husband has his sort of computer set up. And then there's a separate area out in the living room that's sort of a bit of a nook where I have my office set up and it's all windows. It's just like the most beautiful space. Um, we have a huge patio. Our patio is like 500 square feet, which is larger than our first apartment together. <laughs> um, it's so big. I've been so excited. Can't wait till the Vancouver weather finally gets better so we can actually use it. Um, and it's on the first floor, but it faces into this inner courtyard. So it's super quiet, except for currently there are a bunch of garbage trucks going by. So apologies if you can hear that. Um, but really quiet, really private. And I'm just so, so excited to use that space this summer. So we absolutely love this place. It's also, um, my husband can walk to work. There are lots of parks and the ocean right nearby. So it's uh, pretty much the ideal place. And if we were, you know, just the two of us not having a baby, I think we would want to stay here forever. Um, it actually recently was on the market and I guess we could have tried to scrape together some money to buy it. I don't know if we would have been able to afford it. Um, but because our plan is to, uh, grow our family and have a kid and one day move into at least a two bedroom, possibly a three bedroom. We didn't think it would be a good investment for us to buy this one bedroom right now. Um, so our plan is to stay here as long as possible. If you listen to, uh, I think two episodes ago, I did an episode all about traveling with a baby and I shared that our plan is to travel with our kiddo for the majority of our parental leave. So taking the first 12 or 18 months off of work and using a lot of that time to really slow travel, likely through Europe. Um, so our plan is to be here in Vancouver for the first sort of four to six months of our kid's life, bring them home to this, our one bedroom apartment, you know, live, live life here with them, do the whole newborn thing, and then head off uh, to see some family and then on our trip. So the plan would be to have the baby here from sort of day one until they're about four to six months old. And the idea being that we'll probably set up a little bit of a nursery space in our bedroom. Uh, right now, my husband's got like his whole computer set up in there, but I think I could convince him to move that uh, out to the living room. And we sort of turn that into a little bit of a nursery, little, you know, bedside bassinet, that sort of thing. And then we will likely uh, give up this apartment because we are just renting when we go off on that trip. And then when we come back to Vancouver, we'll likely get um, or try to find a two bedroom rental. So that would be a place where we could stay a little bit longer where the baby would have their own room. So our plan is not to do um, super small space living, uh, no tiny homes, no 300 square feet with five people, no RVs, no vans, <laughs> as much as I tell my husband that would be so fun to do van life. He's certainly not into that. And even this sort of like quasi small space living that we're talking about doing, you know, a one bedroom home that's 850 square feet. Our plan is to only do that for a small amount of time to um, 
only be here for really that first four to six months with our baby. However, if we weren't traveling or if for some reason this baby trip doesn't happen and we do decide to just stay in Vancouver, keep things as they are, I think we could stay here with a baby for a little while. And I know that might sound really naive. I obviously don't have a baby yet, so <laughs> this could totally change. I could bring a kid home and say, oh my God, we need so much more space. But I kind of love the idea of having a baby in this home, not necessarily sharing a room with my kid for a really long time. I can see how that could be really disruptive. <laughs> um, but just this area, like I said, we have that patio space that's, you know, 500 square feet, totally enclosed, totally private. I love the idea of setting up like a little um, jungle gym or a little splash pad or something like that and actually being able to, you know, bring my kid outside and have this little backyard space with them, but still be in the city of Vancouver. That's like completely unheard of. You can't get, you know, a backyard or outdoor space or anything like that in this city. You would have to go way, way out into the suburbs to have any sort of private backyard space. You might get a balcony, um, but to actually have, like, we, we totally have the space out here where we could set up a kiddie pool and a little swing set or something like that. So I love the idea of having a little kid who actually gets to um, enjoy that sort of outdoor space while still being in the city. And just the fact that our apartment is so close to the ocean and parks and really awesome daycares. I see adorable kiddos <laughs> heading to and from those daycares every day. I think this would be such a cool place uh, to bring up a kid. So I do love the idea. And if for some reason the baby trip doesn't happen, or we find a way to sort of do like a sublet or something like that, I could see us coming back here and living here for a few more years with a kid. But we would definitely have to get very creative about where we create a bedroom for them or for us. And I know this is definitely, if you Google like small space living for a family, there are definitely lots of families who do this. Um, so we would just have to get kind of creative with it. So speaking of that, let's kind of talk about the pros of small space living of doing, you know, a one bedroom with a baby. So obviously, the big pro is you save money, it is a lot cheaper to rent or buy a one bedroom versus a two bedroom or a three bedroom, uh, especially if you want to stay in the city. It's also a lot cheaper just to not have to buy I think as soon as you um, upgrade your housing or move to something bigger, you end up spending all this money, right? Like you have to furnish uh, new rooms, you're paying more for utilities. Um, and especially with a baby, you know, if we moved into a two bedroom and we decided, okay, this is going to be the baby's nursery. Okay, now all of a sudden we have to buy all these things for a nursery. And I think the fact that we are planning to sort of make like a nursery nook almost, oh, that's kind of cute. I like the sound of that nursery nook. Um, so the fact that we are planning to do a nursery nook in our one bedroom sort of limits the things that we can buy. Like I think we'll probably get um, a mini crib. We'll probably get some sort of a change table slash dresser. Um, and then maybe a chair if we are planning to do a lot of, um, you know, breastfeeding or bottle feeding in that area. And even then, I think we could probably get away with like, maybe not even doing the dresser. Um, I know it's, I will probably do more episodes on this if I am lucky enough to get pregnant and sort of talk more about this journey. But I definitely know I'm going to be um, a minimalist mom and I'm not going to be the kind of person who goes out and buys every single gadget. And I think having a little bit of a reality check of like, okay, um, do I need the $300 changing pad? Probably not. Do I need a changing pad? Yes. Could I just put it on the bed or on the floor anytime I want to change my baby? Sure. Is it more convenient to have a table? Maybe. <laughs> um, a lot of questions, a lot of things I think that new parents sort of get sucked into buying of like, oh my God, I have to get this $150 
what is it called? Like the Kikaru peanut or something like that change table. And I'm sure it's amazing, but like, do you really need it? I don't know. So suffice to say, having a smaller space, you have to make um, tougher decisions and there's not as much room to bring in uh, things that could cost money. So it definitely will save money staying in this space. It also allows us to stay in the city. And for me, this is something that's actually really, really important. I was brought up um, kind of a bit of both, mostly in the city. I grew up in Toronto, um, mostly lived like right downtown Toronto my whole life. My parents did get divorced. And at one point, my dad moved out to the suburbs, but I was about 13, 14 at that point, um, and was splitting time pretty evenly between my dad and my mom throughout the week. So I really did get uh, to see both sides of things, the downtown living and the suburbs living, but definitely more downtown because that's really where I was like brought up. Um, and I loved it. I loved growing up downtown Toronto. I loved being in this busy environment. I used to joke that like the sounds of sirens and streetcars would lull me to sleep. Um, but it's true. Like I'm used to smaller spaces. I grew up learning how to use, you know, the subway and public transit and understanding that, you know, there are homeless people and people who have, you know, mental health crises in the city and that, you know, you don't have to stare and you don't have to <laughs> point. It's just, you know, it's part of life. And there are noises in a city that you don't get out in the suburbs. And yes, I never did learn to ride a bike. So maybe that's something I missed out on because <laughs> I think I learned it like once in an alleyway between the townhouse we were living in um and then never again because it's just not really a thing uh not to say that people in toronto don't ride bikes of course they do it's just harder to learn as a kid growing up in condos um but i got so many other things like i got to walk to chinatown every day with my mom and eat at all these different multicultural places and walk everywhere and take the streetcar and things like that that's really important to me and i really want to um, have a life like that for my kid. I want to be able to walk outside with them, walk to things, not always have to put them in the back of a minivan and drive to a strip mall. Like I want to be able to walk to shops and restaurants. I want them to see all different types of people and um, yeah, just not really be in this sort of like suburban bubble. And too often that also means a very white bubble. And me, um, I'm Asian and I really want my child to see that there are lots of other types of people and lifestyles and ways of doing things out there. So staying in a city is super important to me. It's something I want my kid to experience. And it's also just something that like is really important to my life. I don't drive. Um, like I said, I also don't bike, so I'm pretty bad when it comes to transportation. Um, but having, you know, the amenities of a city with public transit, with things that I can walk to, that's really important and makes my life better. And I've said this on past episodes, but I don't think parents need to give everything up for their kids. I think it's okay to prioritize yourself. And one of the things that's a priority to me would be staying in a city where I can walk to things and um, feel like I'm in a really multicultural space. And for my husband as well, he did grow up in the suburbs. And, you know, as we've talked about it, he says he sort of had to relearn that idea that like, you know, as soon as you have a kid, oh, of course, you have to move to the suburbs, you have to get the um, you know, to garage home and you have to get the backyard and you have to get the minivan and sort of being with me and just living in the city for as long as we have, he's sort of learned that, oh no, you don't have to do that. Like there are tons of kids in our neighborhood and they all live in condos and they are thriving and they are, <laughs> you know, seeing all these cool different classmates and people all around them and the busy city. And that it is totally okay that that's like a completely valid way to raise a kid. So that's something that's important to us as people um, and also as parents and also as as, um, well, I guess that's it, as people and as parents. <laughs> Another pro of doing small space livings so of bringing a kid into a one bedroom would be obviously that closeness you get as a family. I think that's something a lot of small spacers talk about, like 
being able to have all your meals together and, you know, being in each other's space as much as that, you know, is kind of a con and I'll bring it up again in the cons. It's also a pro to have that closeness with your family. I know a lot of, um, usually parents of older kids, like teenagers sort of talk about like being in the same house as your kids, but you don't even see them. Everyone's like away in their different closed bedrooms and on their screens with, uh, you know, the doors are closed and you really don't see each other. So I like the idea of our family really being in the same spaces, having meals together, watching TV together, going to the park together, things like that. I think small space living makes that a lot easier. Um, and lastly, the last big pro I can think about of us staying in our one bedroom apartment and bringing a baby home is really just that, that we get to stay we don't have to move, <laughs> that we don't have to give up this amazing apartment. Every single person who's come over to visit has talked about how great this place is, how much light it gets, how spacious it is, how lucky we are to have this huge patio. Um, I'd love that we would not have to give this up. And also that we wouldn't have to move. I have moved a lot as a child of divorce who <laughs> split my time between both parents. I think I had clocked like 20 moves before I left high school. Two zero, 20 moves before I had graduated from high school. Um, so I love the idea of not having to move and especially not having to move while pregnant or while with a newborn. I think that just sounds like the hardest thing in the world. So I love that we could just stay here and settle and not have to try to plan for a move at the same time. Okay, moving into the cons, because obviously there are some cons to doing small space living, being in a one bedroom with a baby. So the first thing that I thought of actually was not having that nursery to decorate. So even though we are planning to do the nursery nook, uh, trademark pending, <laughs> um, I'm not going to have, you know, like a full room to decorate. So I know nesting is a really big part of the pregnancy journey. And even for myself, anytime I have moved houses, I always get this like burst of like nesting energy where I want to decorate everything and buy all these things and do all these, you know, HGTV DIY tutorials and make everything beautiful. And I think there's definitely going to be a part of me that's like, oh no, I can't, you know, pick out wallpaper and get their name sign put on the wall and buy all these beautiful things for a nursery and set up a Montessori PlayStation and all that stuff. Um, so that's going to be a little bit sad. Obviously, you can still do some of that in a small space. Um, the nursery nook will allow for a few things. We could do some decorating. And I think it's just about getting creative and sort of adapting those things. And in the end, probably not, you know, going full nest <laughs> will actually save me a lot of money. But I do think there will be an element of like, oh, I can't set up this room to be this, you know, beautiful, lovely nursery that's going to be a little bit sad. But again, it'll save money. I could still do it creatively. And I do think it's funny that parents sort of seem to go all out. You know, there's, if you go on YouTube, you can look up like nursery reveals and like my nursery budget. And they spend all this money on this room that for starters, your kid doesn't sleep in right away. Usually they sleep in your room with you for the first, you know, however many months. Um, and then they are in their nursery. But then of course, as they age, that nursery just becomes their room. And you likely will have to redecorate and get rid of all of that stuff you bought just for the nursery. So not to begrudge anyone their nursery decorating. Um, I'm just trying to make myself feel better about the fact that I probably won't get to do it. <laughs> Um, another con of the small space living, at least for us, is that it would just be for a limited time. So I know some families do this long term. There's a really gorgeous blog called 600 Square Feet and a Baby. Um, and it's, as the name entails, was a family that lived in a 600 square foot apartment and they brought home their babies to that apartment. I think they've now moved into like 900 or 1200 square feet or something like that, but they're still doing the small space living. And for a long time, they had, um, the, the one bedroom where they lived in was the kids room. So they had two kids in the one bedroom and then the parents slept in the living room and they had a Murphy bed. So one of the 
beds that comes down from the wall. And that's something I thought about in our space. It doesn't really make sense just because our bedroom is so huge. Um, and truly, I wouldn't want to give my, you know, one-year-old this, like, ginormous bedroom that has space for a king-size bed and a huge closet and a whole workstation where, where my husband and I get, like, shoved out to the living room. So I know in certain homes, it would work really well. Uh, in ours, I don't think it would. Um, so for us, this is probably just a limited time thing. I think eventually we are going to want two bedrooms, at least maybe even three would be nice to sort of have, like, a bit of an office space or something like that. We are going to want that separation. Um, so one of the cons for us is that this would just be a limited time thing. It's not something we're going to do forever. Obviously a big con of small space living, of doing one bedroom with a family is just less space, less privacy. <laughs> I think that's probably going to be the biggest issue. Um, and again, people who are doing this, there are families that do this small space living, uh, they find ways around this. They find little pockets of space, um, little, you know, time times, <laughs> little ways to get privacy, whether it's, you know, closing a door, making an office in a closet, uh, going out to the patio, going to co-working spaces, um, enrolling your kids in activities or, <laughs> or something like that, sending them to daycare. I know there are ways to get it, but at the end of the day, like 850 square feet is 850 square feet. And with more bodies in smaller spaces with fewer doors, there's always going to be that issue where you don't get your privacy and you don't really feel like you have enough space of your own. Um, and I, I think it would be okay with a little one, um, you know, just one, if we were planning to have two or three kids, it could get really tricky. And again, I think it really depends on the format of your one bedroom or your small space. I think certain spaces are um, better to bring more people into. I think they're, they're just like, the way that they're built, I guess, or planned makes more sense. Um, so yeah, it depends what you're looking for, right? How creative you want to get with that. If you are okay to sort of put up a temporary wall and call that your office, or if you really do need to be, you know, down the hallway from <laughs> the rest of the noise. Um, another big issue with small space living, I think for us at least would be sleeping and sort of having that adult time in the evenings. And I don't just mean, um, you know, intimacy in bed, which is obviously a big part of that, but also just like being able to watch TV shows after the kid goes to bed. Are we sort of, um, you know, sacrificing the bedroom to them and we can't go in there after 6 p.m.? Or are we going to put the kid in the living room and then we have to go to bed at 6 p.m.? If our kid wakes up crying, are they just going to come into bed with us because we're right there? Or are they going to call for us? It's going to be, um, I could see that being a big issue going forward if we decided to, you know, all share a bedroom beyond sort of four or six months, I could see that being a big problem of them just calling out for us anytime they wake up and we can't really ignore them. We're, we're right there. So that's definitely something to think about. And the last issue that I've sort of thought about when it comes to small space living or bringing a baby home to a one bedroom apartment is just the judgment. Obviously, this is pretty unconventional, non-traditional. It's not something that every family does. I think that's, you know, that's the reason why I'm doing a whole podcast episode about it. That's why there are small space living, you know, blogs and things like that. Um, so I can definitely see a lot of our friends and family sort of having a bit of judgment about that. And not that that would stop us from doing it. It's just, you know, it's another con. We have done things in our life already that are pretty non-traditional. We moved abroad for a full year. We got married in a pretty uh, unconventional way. And every single time it has worked out great. It's exactly what we wanted to do for our life. And our friends and family have always come around. And at the end of the day, been like, you know what? You were right. That was the perfect thing for you two. And it was 
the best decision and it was, you know, great for you and great for the rest of us. Um, so I'm sure they would come around as well. I can just see quite a bit of judgment of like, oh my God, you can't bring a baby home here. Where are you going to put the baby? Where are you going to put everything? Like they need two bedrooms. You need a minivan, <laughs> things like that. So just one more thing that we'd sort of have to butt up against. So another con, but bottom line, this whole thing, you know, whether you're listening to this episode and sort of thinking like, Hey, that makes a lot of sense. I currently live in a one bedroom in a busy city and you know, I didn't, know how we were going to afford to move to something bigger, or I didn't really want to have to leave the city to go to the suburbs, this could totally work. Or maybe you're listening to this from your giant suburban house and you think I've lost it. <laughs> or maybe you're in a really crowded, busy, more expensive city than mine and 850 square feet sounds luxurious, <laughs> no matter where you're listening from. I hope this episode just sort of gave you uh, permission, I guess, to rethink what it has to look like to bring a baby home. Um, you don't have to move to the suburbs. You don't have to drastically change your life. You don't have to get a minivan. Um, you can have a baby, grow your family in ways that work for you, and you don't have to sacrifice everything you love. Um, I grew up in the city. There are lots of children who do, and they live in apartments, and I think that's totally fine, and it is a different way of life, and maybe that's not what you want. Maybe you want your kid to be able to jump on their bike and hang out with their friends and ride around the cul-de-sac and, you know, you turn on the porch lights and they come in. Um, there are totally, totally benefits to that. I love the idea of, you know, the kids in the neighborhood sort of being independent and going off on adventures by themselves, um, knowing that they have, you know, a safe space to come home to. I love the idea of them having like wide open spaces, learning how to ride a bike, you know, having a more active outdoor lifestyle. Um, but I also love the idea of a kid growing up with, you know, a, a sushi restaurant and a Vietnamese restaurant and a Persian restaurant and a Syrian restaurant all within walking distance and them learning, you know, how to say hello in six different languages and hearing sirens and streetcars and fireworks and getting used to those noises. Um, so I think pros and cons to really always of living. Um, and it's just about sort of finding what works for you as a family, what's important to you as parents, but also as people, as your own people, what you value. Um, knowing that there are kids that grow up in all of those settings and a bunch of different ones and they all thrive and turn out great. <laughs> so there's no like one right way to raise kids. There's no one right home to bring a child into. Um, and that also you can change your mind. Like I'm recording this episode right now not pregnant, not a mom, don't have a child. Um, I could, you know, play this back in a few years and say, what was I thinking? Like, yes, we needed more space. Oh my gosh. As soon as we had a kid, all I wanted to do was get out to the suburbs. So who knows? Right. And I think that's okay too. You're totally allowed to try something out, find out it doesn't work or it does work, but just for, you know, a small amount of time and then change your mind. That is sort of, uh, life, right? <laughs> gosh, this is getting very philosophical. Okay. I will leave you there. Uh, TLDR, bring a baby home to whatever home you want. Try it out and change it if it doesn't work. So wishing you all best of luck on your conception, fertility, pregnancy, baby rearing, childbirthing journey. And I will see you back here next week. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Any Questions, a podcast about conception, pregnancy, and realistic motherhood. If you liked hearing from me, I'd really appreciate it if you could do all the things. Follow, subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with a friend. Even if I wasn't able to answer all of your questions, I hope there's some relief in knowing you're not alone in asking them. Thanks so much for being here.